The following message comes to you from the pulpit of Zion Primitive Baptist Church in Zion, Alabama. For more information, please visit us online at zionpbc.com. I want to welcome you today to the Zion Primitive Baptist Church podcast. This podcast is an outreach of Zion Primitive Baptist Church, which is located in the Zion community near Gordo, Alabama. I'm Elder Chris McCool, and I serve as pastor of Zion Primitive Baptist Church. We are a congregation of believers in the sovereign grace of God where families worship together through the simple practice of preaching, praying, and singing. If you live in this area or are visiting here, we would love to have you attend worship services with us. We meet every Sunday morning at 10.30 a.m. and every Sunday evening at 5 p.m. and the first and third Wednesday evenings at 6.30 p.m. I'm happy to note that our daily podcast is featured on Grace Alone Radio, which you can find at gracealoneradio.net. You can find the schedule on the website, and you can also download an app to your phone so that you can listen wherever you are. Grace Alone Radio is a 24-hour streaming service which carries the message of God's sovereign grace around the clock and around the world. Zion Primitive Baptist Church is located at 9487 County Road 49, Gordo, Alabama. That's near the intersection of County Road 49 and Alabama Highway 159, about 10 miles north of Gordo, Alabama, and about 8 miles northeast of Reform, Alabama. If you're interested in finding more sermons, you can go to our website at zionpbc.com, that's z-i-o-n-p-b-c.com, where you'll find all of our posted sermons as well as a link to subscribe to our podcast. You can also subscribe to our website which will update you every time a new sermon is posted. Today's message is the second half of the second sermon preached in the series on the book of Job. We've laid the groundwork so far, talking about the overall themes of Job. And today we move into the heart of Job, into the actual account of what happened to Job. As I've said before, you may notice a problem with the audio. We had some issues with having to splice together two different recordings to get all of the content from this message, but otherwise I hope you'll enjoy this sermon as we continue our series on the book of Job. But first, we have a song selection that I hope you enjoy. After the song, please stay tuned for another message of God's sovereign grace from the Zion Primitive Baptist Church pulpit.
chapter 1 of Job, in verse 1, we read, There was a man in the land of Uz whose name was Job. And that man was perfect and upright, one that feared God and eschewed evil. And there were born unto him seven sons and three daughters. His substance also was 7,000 sheep and 3,000 camels and 500 yoke of oxen and 500 she-asses in a very great household, so that this man was the greatest of all the men of the east. And his sons went and feasted in their houses, everyone in his day, and sent and called for their three sisters to come eat and drink with them. And it was so when the days of their feasting were gone about that Job sent and sanctified them and rose up early in the morning and offered burnt offerings according to the number of them all. For Job said, it may be that my sons have sinned and cursed God in their hearts. Thus did Job continually. Now here we have in the first five verses a situation that Job could see. This is what he had visible to him. This is what he knew was going on around him. This is all that Job could see. We're going to get to the situation in a minute that Job couldn't see, where God is, the, uh, uh, is there and, and it's invisible and it's not something that he could see. But Job, is, look, Job sees this situation. And we see from this, these verses that Job was a good man, as I've already said. We're told he was perfect which doesn't mean perfectly without sin, but it means whole or complete, filled. It even has an implication of being filled with integrity. And what it means is, is that Job was a, a growing, uh, spiritually mature child of God. He was spiritually mature. You know, one of the prayers I have for our church is certainly that we would grow in numbers. We, we certainly want that. But more than that, I want you to grow in spirit and spiritual understanding. I want you to grow spiritually. I want you to grow in grace and knowledge of the truth. If you're not growing in grace and knowledge of the truth, then it's, why would the Lord trust us with sending any more of his children this way? We need to be growing like Job. Job was perfect. He was filled with integrity. He was not sinless, as I said, but he was a complete, he was, he was a complete man. Notice it said he was upright. Upright simply means straight. He's straight. He's not a crooked man. He's a straight man. Job was the real deal, as I think I've already said. Job was the real deal. And we're told that he eschewed evil. That literally means to turn off. <laughs> He, he turned it off. You know, it's like a water spigot. He turned it off. He was tired of evil. He didn't, he turned it off. He, he departed from it figuratively. He avoided it. He turned aside from it as the proverb writer says we should do. Now, he wasn't perfect, as I said, but in general, the, the trajectory of his life was in an upward uh, motion. He was growing in grace and knowledge of God. And then it, notice he also had a great fortune. In verses 2 and 3, we read about his children and his sheep and his oxen and his cattle and his, all the things that he had there. By any measure, he was rich. He was rich. And, you know, Job wasn't somebody who apparently squandered it on himself. Just flip over quickly to the 29th chapter uh, of Job. And, and you're going to see in Job's speaking here, uh, Job is the one that's talking in the 29th chapter. And... In verse 12, he says, uh, uh, notice what he says. I delivered the poor that cried and the fatherless and him that had none to help him. The blessing of him that was ready to perish came upon me and I caused the widow's heart to sing for joy. I put on righteousness uh, and it clothed me. He said, verse 15, I was eyes to the blind and feet was I to the lame. In verse 16, I was a father to the poor and the cause which I knew not I searched out. In other words, Job didn't just squander all his riches on himself. 
Job took care of others. Job loved other people. He did that which was right in the sight of God. You know, I, I, I would love to be rich. I know the Lord probably never blessed me to be rich because he knew I couldn't handle it. But, but if I, if it's not wrong to be rich. It's okay to be rich as long as you're not rich for yourself. And Job was that way. He, he didn't just squander it on himself. He, he took care of others. And Job also, notice, had a good family. They were apparently were very close-knit. He had, he had seven sons and three daughters. And verse 4 says, The sons went and feasted in their houses, every one his day. Now, I don't know if that meant each day of the week, a different night, they got together at a different son's house. Or if it means on their birthday, his day. I don't know what that means. But I just know regularly the family got together. And they loved each other, and they sent for their sisters to come as well. They didn't, just, they didn't want to leave anybody out. They were a close, loving family. And Job loved them, and because he loved them, and because he loved God, notice in verse 5 it says that he, he continually would, would offer a burnt offering for each one of them. For he said in the end of verse 5 there, it may be that they have sinned and cursed God in their hearts. <laughs> You know, I think I said Wednesday night that the equivalent of that today, we don't make sacrifices anymore, but the equivalent of that today is a mama or a daddy getting on their knees every night and praying for their children. It's making that sacrifice of prayer, getting on their knees and praying. You know, I, don't, I pray for my children. I hope they've been living right. Lord, if they haven't, forgive them. Lord, bless them with health. Bless them with uh, the, the things of this world that they need to get by. And Lord, help them to serve you better. See, he wasn't also just praying for uh, increase in wealth. He's here. He wasn't saying, Lord, make them great men, make them great people and rich. He was saying, Lord, I hope they haven't offended you. But if they have, please take my prayer as an intercessory prayer for them. See, they were, he was concerned about their spiritual welfare, about their spiritual growth. And it says, thus did Job continually. Job was faithful in what he was doing. Job was faithfully seeking the Lord. And that's an important point to remember. Notice as we go through this, this book here, just notice as you read this book of Job that the things that happen to him don't happen to him because of something bad that he's done. Now, now one little caveat here, as I've said already, we're going to find Job wasn't perfect. Job had some pride issues clearly in his life. And, and we'll talk about why the Lord uh, moved the hedge, so to speak. But, uh, and, and possibly that's one of the reasons is, is, is there's, no better, there's no better lesson on pride than the crucible of suffering. When you get into the suffering of this life, it's hard to be prideful. But, but be that as it may, these things that happen, it's not something that's occurring to him because of something bad he's done, you see. He wasn't sinlessly perfect, but he wasn't doing things that ought to result in this kind of suffering. So, so this is the situation Job could see. Now, I want to turn for the rest of our time uh, to the situation Job could not see. The situation Job could not see. And before we begin reading, let me just remind you of this. In every situation you find yourself in in life, there are things you can see, but there's also things you can't see. There's things you know not of that are occurring. And sometimes those things are good things. Sometimes 
they're, they're bad things, so to speak. You know, there's a spirit world out there. We're going to see that here in just a minute. There's a spirit world. There, did you know there are spirits here today? In our worship service, we're told angels observe our worship services. The scripture tells us there is a spirit world. There were demons that were possessing people in Jesus' day, and Jesus cast them out. Nobody here could see them, but Jesus could. Nobody with a natural eye could see them, but the Lord could. And, and the same thing today, beloved, I still believe in a spirit world out there. So let's begin reading in verse 6. Now there was a day when the sons of God came to present themselves before the Lord, and Satan came also among them. Now I want to stop there and look at the setting in the sons of God here. Most people, this is where I take issue with a lot of the teaching out there on the book of Job. Most people in the world that teach on the book of Job teach that this is heaven and that the sons of God are angels and that Satan came into heaven in the presence of the throne room of God and these angels and had this interaction with God. I do not believe that that's the case. I do not believe, the, the, I, I didn't bring it with me, but Wednesday night I, I mentioned, I believe it's uh, five times in the Old Testament the phrase sons of God appears. And only one time I believe it refers to angels. Only one time, it's, it's, it's mentioned twice over in, or th uh, three times I believe it is over in the sixth chapter of Genesis. The sons of God went in under the daughters of men and they had children and, and eventually this, uh, the world was uh, overrun by the flood because of the wickedness there. And that's referring to children of God. You know, sons of God in the third chapter of, uh, uh, of the book of Luke, uh, he starts off there talking about the genealogy. Verse 23 he says, Jesus himself began to be 30 years of age. As was supposed, the son of Joseph, which was the son of Heli, which is the son of Method, and he goes on and on and on and on, the son of son of son of so-and-so each time. And finally gets down to verse 38, and he's gotten to the end of the genealogy. He says, which was the son of Enos, which was the son of Seth, which was the son of Adam, which was the son of God. Adam was called a, the son of God. Now, he's not the only begotten son of God. Did you know you and I are called sons of God? Did you know that? We're, we are sons of God. That phrase is not used always to refer to angels. In fact, only one time, and it's in the book of Job, and we'll get to it, but uh, over in the 38th chapter, I believe the Lord speaking there is referring to angels who were shouting for joy in the creation. But in general, it's talking about Children of God, and the connection, by the way, is that the angels are created as well as man was created. <laughs> so, so that's why you can call them both sons of God. What this is, beloved, is it, I do not believe this is heaven, okay? Most say it is, but it, it can't be. In Luke that 10th chapter and 18th verse, Jesus said, I saw Satan fall as lightning from heaven. Sometime in time immemorial past, when Jesus, the pre-incarnate Jesus, saw Satan cast out of heaven. And Lucifer, we're told, and Isaiah has, been fall, has fallen from heaven. There is nothing that will ever go into the presence of God in the throne room of God in heaven heaven that will defile. You can read the book of Revelation about that. Nothing that defiles, nothing that's sinful or sin cursed will go into his presence. You see, this can't be heaven. And by the way, another reason it can't be heaven is it says there was a day. <laughs> 
Well, you might say, well, this is the eternal day. No, there's going to be another day over in the second chapter here. There's no time in heaven. There's no eternal, there's no passage of time up there. Uh, time is a, is a temporal thing. <laughs> well, literally, that, that's what that means. But, uh, but yeah, time is an earthly thing. Time passes here. Time doesn't pass in heaven. So there's not a day in heaven here and a day in heaven there, you see. This is a, and these sons of God are children of God, probably Job's children and Job come together in a worship service. Notice what it did. It says they came to present themselves before the Lord. Isn't that what we're doing today? I hope that's what we're doing today. I hope you're here to present yourself before the Lord. I'm not presenting myself before you, even though I'm up here preaching in front of you. I'm presenting myself before the Lord. This is a worship service. And that tells us something important. It tells us that God observes our worship service. You know, over in the book of Malachi, I believe it is, he talks about those people that, uh, that spake to one another often. And you know what he did? He wrote a book of remembrance about them. When we get together, God is observing our, our proceedings here. You know, some people believe you go to church to see a performance. Either some choir or some band or some preacher gets up and performs for you. Let me tell you, church is a performance, but you are the performers. We are the performers. We're performing before God. God is looking at us. God is the audience. Not, I'm not the entertainer and you're the audience. If you come to church to be entertained, uh, first of all, uh, you're going to be sadly disappointed because I'm not much of an entertainer, but, but also you've come for the wrong reason. We are here to entertain God. We are here to perform for God. And you know, he loves when we get together and we love one another and we love on one another. And we show love to one another and we worship him who is the creator and the savior and the one who deserves our praise. They came to present themselves before the Lord and the Lord was there. But notice something else. Satan was also there. Now, before you get terrified and run screaming, I hate to tell you, but Satan and or his minions, I, Satan's not like God. He's not everywhere present and nowhere absent. But he has a lot of demons. He has a lot of servants out there. And I guarantee you in every worship service that's occurring in one of the true churches of God, Satan or one of his minions is there. You know what that tells me? That tells me even at church, we better be very careful. Oh, my. Brother Mackie and I have talked before about uh, how much sometimes I just get, I get nervous and, and dread a business meeting. <laughs> Not really with you all, but, uh, but there have been, hey, there have been times, though, when I did. I, when we were thinking about what we were going to do here, what, were we going to build this building? Were we going to renovate that building? Were we going to build another fellowship hall? And I knew there were four or five different, uh, different ways of thinking out there. Two or three people wanted to do this, and two or three wanted to do that, and four or five wanted to do the other. I said, I told you, I prayed and prayed and prayed before that meeting because I said, Lord, please don't split us up. You know, I'm not worried about doctrinal errors coming into the church. I'm really not worried about about somebody coming in here and teaching that it's salvation's in your hands rather than completed by God. What I'm worried about is the color of the carpet. <laughs> That's what will split a church up more than anything else, the color of the walls, you know. Somebody wants pink walls. Somebody wants gray walls. Somebody wants, now I don't like pink walls, let me just say that, but <laughs> I, wouldn't, I still wouldn't be mad if that's what the majority wanted to do. I'd still come to church, but, uh, but I'm telling you, that's the kind of thing that we got to be careful about. we got to be careful about how we talk to one another and how we deal with one another. 
another, especially when conducting the business of the church, because Satan is here, just like he was there. And notice, I want, I want to talk about Satan for just a minute. Notice what he says here. Satan came also among them. And the Lord said unto Satan, Whence comest thou? That's a good question, isn't it? Where does Satan come from? I don't mean his origin, but where is he? If he's here today, where was he yesterday? Where's he going from here? Well, it tells us here, Satan answered the Lord and said, From going to and fro in the earth and from walking up and down in it. Now, the name Satan in Hebrew literally means the adversary, the opponent. Satan is the contrary one. He's contrary unto us. He's, he's an adversary to God and to his kingdom and to his people. In the, in the New Testament, uh, the word devil is used a lot to, to define Satan. And that's the Greek word diabolos, which we get our word diabolical from, which means a slanderer or a false accuser or someone who is deceitfully trying to lead God's people astray. Well, he really plays his part here, doesn't he? Notice, notice also, <laughs> he's been going to and fro in the earth. He, he's, he's got free access. He's going up and down and to and fro in the earth, especially in that day. He had free access to pretty much everywhere, including the worship service of God. And I tell you, 1 Peter 5 and 8 tells us about what he's doing today. He's a roaring lion, walking about, seeking whom he may devour. That's, that's, that's the devil. That's this Satan. That's what he's doing. And that's, he is really playing his part here, is he not? Because notice what he says next as we kind of bring this to a close. Verse 7, the Lord said unto Satan, Whence comest thou? And then Satan answered the Lord and said, From going to and fro in the earth, and from walking up and down in it. And the Lord said unto Satan, Hast thou considered my servant Job, that there is none like him in the earth, a perfect and an upright man, one that feareth God and escheweth evil? Now, I want to stop there just for a second. And I want you to notice something I hope you picked up in the reading of this. There is no hint of animosity or meanness or mean-spiritedness here in this statement of God, is there? Many people who read the book of Job think, why did God do that to Job? Well, let me tell you, this tells you a little bit about the heart of God right here. God has looked upon Job. Notice the struggle that's about to begin here, the struggle that's about to begin between, between Satan and God in a sense. God sets out to praise Job. He says, it's like a father beaming. It's like a father proud of his son. God sees the uprightness of Job. And is, he's, in a sense, he's bragging about Job. He's saying, Satan, look at Job. Have you considered him? There is none like him in the earth. He is, he is the one on the earth as we speak here today who is serving me better than anybody else now now let's don't don't forget as i said to start this message that job is but a worm of the earth job in his natural man 
wouldn't receive the things of the Spirit of God, for their foolishness unto him, neither could he know them, for they're spiritually discerned. 1 Corinthians 2.14 tells us that. So what it tells us first and foremost about Job is that Job is a redeemed child of God. Job is a regenerated child of God. He has that spirit within him that allows him to be able to be in tune with the Almighty. If you don't have the spirit, if you haven't been born again, you don't have a spirit. You don't, it's kind of like the radio tuners. You know, right now, as we stand here, there's all kinds of radio and TV ways. You could be watching HBO and Cinemax right now. If I just had a, if I just had a tuner on that I could hold up for you and a TV right here in front of me, you could be watching it because those, those, those waves are passing through this church. But you know, the reason we don't have it going on right now, we don't have a tuner in here that can pick it up. We don't have a receiver that can get those waves. Well, guess what? The, the Spirit of God's like that. If you don't have a tuner, if you don't have a receiver within you to pick up on the Spirit of God, you're not interested in things of the Spirit. The man who's dead in trespasses and in sins, the man who's born only in nature, never been born again, he, is, uh, he has not got the ability to praise God or to serve Him like Job. So Job was a redeemed and regenerated child of God. But once we are born again, we are regenerated, we have the ability to serve Him like Job. And God says to Satan... <laughs> Have you looked at him? Have you considered? It's like God is, not, God is not being mean. He's not being devious. He's proud like a father's proud of his son. In Isaiah 66 and verse 2, we're told, To this man will I look. This is God speaking. To this man will I look, even to him that is poor and of a contrite spirit and trembleth at my word. This clearly describes Job, or God wouldn't be looking to him. God's looking to this man. And notice that God's pronouncement of his character is accurate. Everything God says is true. Now, remember this. Everything God says is true. From this point on, in the first two chapters of Job and in the last chapter of Job, we have a third-person account of the events that are happening. But beginning in chapter 3, every chapter, is, there's a speaker. It starts out with uh, Job says this or Eliphaz says that. And so when you read the book of Job, you have to filter it through who the speaker is. But when you get over to the 38th chapter of the book of Job, God is speaking. And when God speaks, you can rely on everything he says. You can't, you can't uh, everything that Eliphaz says, everything that Elihu says is not necessarily accurate. It's accurately recorded, but it's not necessarily true doctrine. You can't just go to Job and pull a verse out here and a verse out there and, and build, a build a doctrine, build a theology on it. You've got to filter it through who's talking. But notice here, God is talking. And this is the true and correct viewpoint. God is out to praise Job. And that makes sense. That's consistent with other places in the scripture. Over in Psalms, the 147th chapter, in the 11th verse, listen to what he says. Listen to what God's, the, the psalmist writes here. Psalm 147, verse 11. The Lord taketh pleasure in them that fear him and those that hope in his mercy. <laughs> Isn't that great? Over in 1 Peter, 1 Peter chapter 1, I believe it is, in, uh, in verse 6. 1 Peter 1 and verse 6. Wherein you greatly rejoice. He's talking about, he's talking about, struggles here when you greatly rejoice though now for a season if need be ye are in heaviness through manifold temptations 
But notice this, verse 7, that the trial of your faith, being much more precious than of gold that perisheth, though it be tried with fire, might be found unto praise and honor and glory at the appearing of Jesus Christ. In other words, God takes, as we said earlier, God takes pleasure. He delights in the faithfulness of his servants. You remember when he came to Abraham in the 18th chapter? He came to Abraham and and told Abraham, you're about to have a son that you didn't think you could have. In fact, physically you're not able to, but I'm going to bless you. And then he stands there, the the three entities that show up, I believe it was God himself, stands there and communes with himself and says, shall we withhold from Abraham that which we're about to do? They turned and looked toward Sodom, you see. They're fixing to go destroy Sodom. And he says this about Abraham, so I know him. I know Abraham. He's going to instruct his children in the right way to go. He's going to be faithful to me. And I'm paraphrasing. You can turn and read it. So, so let's share with him what we're going to do. You know, that, that's, a, that's a statement of God about how much he loved the faithfulness of Abraham. Do you know he loves our faithfulness today? Do you know he loves and delights in us being faithful today? I hope I never experience the troubles that Job experiences. I hope that I never have to endure the harshness that he endured. But I hope if I do, that I'll be faithful and patient like him. We're going to keep reading and and see that God says, have you considered Job? The devil says, oh yeah, I've considered him. Many people falsely claim that God brought Job to the devil's attention. But the truth of the matter is the devil knew all about Job already. He said, I've been trying to get to him, but you've got a hedge around him, God. You've got a hedge that protects him, and he, he, is, he loves you, but he loves you because you pay him to love him. You know, that's another thing that the devil can't understand. He cannot fathom that anyone would love God apart from what they can get out of God. You ever had a friend that was only your friend because of what you could do for him? Kind of like the prodigal son when he went out into the uh, world and he began to spend his father's inheritance. Eventually the inheritance was depleted and his friends all left him. You know why? Because they weren't really his friends. But you see, God knew that Job loved God not because of what God was given Job, but because of what God had given Job in his eternal salvation. We'll see that as we continue. But I hope that this study of the book of Job will help us to understand the nature of God and how he is merciful and pitiful unto his children. Thank you for joining us today on the Zion Primitive Baptist Church podcast. I hope the message has been uplifting and beneficial to you and that the Lord will continue to bless you to grow in grace and knowledge of the truth. Join us again tomorrow for another message of God's sovereign grace. If you would like to subscribe to our website, please go to www.zionpbc.com and sign up for email updates. If you have any questions, please feel free to contact the church at zionpbc1847 at gmail.com. That's zionpbc1847 at gmail.com. Or you can email me directly at jchrismacool at gmail.com. That's the letter J-C-H-R-I-S-M-C-C-O-O-L at gmail.com. Again, thank you for listening. May the Lord bless you is my prayer. We thank you for listening to today's message. 
For more information, please visit us online at zionpbc.com.